Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. On today's episode, we have Camille, Lachlan, Lauren and Justin. In today's episode, we talk about plastics and making them out of unusual objects such as chicken feathers. We also talk about whether or not the container's colour or shape or qualities impact its taste. And we also look at ways prairie dogs can lie and communicate just like humans. And now we launch into our Launchpad News segment. A really interesting discovery that's happened this week is the ability to turn chicken feathers into plastic. Okay. What? (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. Chickens. Feathers. Like feathers, which are soft, fluffy, into plastic. Yes. I don't, I don't even know where to begin with that. Okay, so chicken feathers are made of a protein called keratin. Yes, which, yeah, keratin, yeah. And we yeah. burn that often for lamps, don't we? No, that's kerosene. Oh, right. <laughs> Close enough. Imagine if your fingernails are made of kerosene. Oh, <laughs> so keratin is the thing in your fingernails. Yeah, yeah. Got it, got it. Keratin, not keratin, because you put keratin into things and then it gets complicated. We're sorted? Okay, good. Keratin is what's in your fingernails. Okay, so then how do we get from that and in feathers, to plastic? So, plastics um, are polymers. They are long chains of organic molecules. like molecules. That are linked together across the stuff, and that's what we make plastics, lots of cool things out of. Yep. That's right. So, chicken feathers are a huge byproduct of the meat industry. Obviously, when you kill a chicken and turn it into meat, you've got lots of feathers that people don't want to eat. Funnily enough, yes. <laughs> yeah, no, it's really absolutely. gross if you have KFC with a feather in it. So, researchers at the University of Nebraska have actually found out that you can add a certain chemical to keratin and treat it with a lot of heat okay. uh, and mix it all and together. And boil it, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and do that sort of stuff to it and actually um, string out these molecules into, into long fibres. Um, long polymer chains, and then you can actually get them to interlink like we do for most plastics. That's right. And why this is so cool um, is because unlike stuff like polyethylene and polypropylene, the things most plastics are made of, because these are organic molecules... They're completely biodegradable. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's really, really important. Um, of course, um, if we have plastics that take years and years to break down, we, we damage and poison. Um, there's a the lot earth. of pollution. Yeah, there's a lot of pollution. We, we, we make the Earth less happy. We make Captain Planet less happy. Um, the other cool thing about it is it's a renewable source. We can grow chickens. I like this. We can we grow, chickens. grow chickens. We do grow chickens. We can't grow dinosaurs... Damn it. That Damn it. we turn into petrol over millions of years. By, like, compacting them under the earth and turning the dinosaur bones into hydrocarbons, into oil and coal and all of that, which is what we're doing right now, right? So when we fuel up at our, at our petrol station or we buy some plastic, what we actually are buying are dinosaurs. Yeah, dinosaur juice, basically. Yeah, basically, dinosaur aged yeah. vintage dinosaur juice for about 65 million years. So this would be growing plastic out of chicken... And that makes a very interesting question. Would it mean that it would taste like chicken? Because <laughs> everything tastes like chicken. And now you'd have plastic that would, make, would taste like chicken. And if it's plastic tastes like chicken, then the, everything that's inside that plastic container could taste like chicken. Well, actually, I know what it tastes like. All you have to do, Justin, is you have to put your fingers in your mouth. Because keratin is the same substance that is in your fingernails. So chicken feathers would taste very similarly to your fingernails. Wait, so... Fingernails taste like chicken as well. Oh my god, everything <laughs> tastes like chicken. Does this mean we can use fingernail clippings for the same thing? That's so gross, though. 
Look, it's not that gross. It's the same chemical. And yes, you could, but the interesting thing about the application of feathers is this is a huge byproduct. There are tons and tons and tons of this raw material going to waste. Um, and so, whereas opposed with fingernails, like they grow really slow, they grow really slowly, and there's not a huge harvesting of them. Whereas with chicken feathers, it's just a waste product. That's really cool though, because that means that out of the whole chicken process, we're using the, the, the meat for a lot of processes. We use bones for stock, um, and we use the feathers now, which is one product we haven't really had any use for. Um, for oil and plastics. That's really cool. That's right. Um, and another big byproduct of the meat industry is um, obviously like blood and a lot of blood. Yeah. And um, that's getting a lot of sort of immunology applications now as well. And that shows the importance of if we want to live sustainably in our world and we want to really harness all our resources, we need to think about how to make processes more efficient and better. And this is one great way of, and a simple way of doing that. Now, if you spoke Prairie Dog, what you'd actually hear there is the introduction to our podcast. So what it turns out is that Prairie Dogs are capable of communicating with language, and animals communicating is something that we understand reasonably well. You know, giraffes, lions, tigers, they all, they all communicate with different ways. So do chimpanzees. But normally, animals communicate about things that are happening right then and there. Like, I see a predator over there, or there is food here, hooray! Yeah, so... Animals typically talk about things that are happening to them right at that instant, instant, instantaneous. Having memory and talking about things that have happened in the past or talking about things that might happen in the future, parts of language and time that we as humans use all the time, is really alien to them. It's something that they don't normally do. So some, some scientists in Arizona, in the United States, have been doing research with prairie dogs. Now, prairie dogs are basically like chipmunks, but in the fields and plains in America, the prairies. Uh, these are small chipmunk-type um, animals, small mammals. And they've been found to communicate, but tell stories. And this is really interesting. So, Camille, why don't you tell us a bit about what, what's going on with these, these prairie dogs? So, prairie dogs have been actually found to speak about things that aren't happening to them uh, in their immediate situation. So, for example, they can talk about arbitrary things uh, like circles and colours and other different shapes and... Uh, things and they can actually tell lies as well which what, what, what do you mean like they can they can be lawyers i don't understand <laughs> so um for example they can say that there is danger happening but actually just make everyone else run away and eat the food all for themselves so it's like hey guys there's a lot of danger over here and then everyone else runs away and then you just go and grab the food yeah so they lied about the danger to get food that's such a jerk move. How is that an evolutionary advantage? It's screwing over the rest of your... That's an incredible evolutionary advantage for that one animal. And that, that actually really shows the, one of the reasons why humans would have developed language for the evolutionary advantage. The people that could express concept, um, complicated concepts such as language, time, lies or truths can actually get some form of advantage out of that. They can benefit from getting better access to food, better access to mates, uh, which means they're more likely to procreate and pass on that ability. So that's actually really cool that they're doing it in prairie dogs, but it also provides a bit of a mirror into how we maybe develop those skills. Does that mean we could eventually communicate with prairie dogs? <laughs> Not necessarily. So basically all they've found is they've decoded their prairie dog language. So they've worked out all the, you know, what they say to each other and how they say it. And they've also found that uh, they are quite similar to humans in the way that they talk to each other. 
as in they can talk about arbitrary things, they can tell stories, they can tell lies, unlike any other animal. So it's, at the moment, it's humans and prairie dogs yeah, and, that can do this. And we know of. how we know that is actually, you, you see, how do we tell that they're talking about arbitrary things or things that lie? One of the ways we decode a language is provide a stimulus to an animal, observe what they talk, what the sounds that they make, right? So you can correspond, and you, we've done this with dogs, we've done this with cats, we've done this with a lot of animals, um, where we say, you know, we give them this thing, they respond in a certain way, and we build up a language matrix from that. With the prairie dogs, they've actually found when there's no stimulus, they can talk about things that aren't there. And then you can go, wait a second, yeah. there's, not, there's no reason why they should be t- making those, those noise. Like, there's no... But they've, they've used that phrase and those contexts in other places before, so therefore they're actually talking about stuff which is not immediate and not in front of them. So, um, for example, chimpanzees. There's a, been a lot of language studies done with chimpanzees and other, um, other apes, like bonobos and uh, gorillas and things, where they learn how to sign or use pictures to communicate. And they found that uh, while they can absolutely communicate with humans using these techniques, it's very difficult for them to talk about how they were sad about something that happened yesterday or how their father was a good person or animal. That's really cool. And uh, so if you want to learn out ways to communicate with animals, maybe we can train the apes to lie and then we're in the planet of the apes type situation. But that's maybe good that they don't know because yeah. I think in a fight we can take those prairie dogs <laughs> and if they're lying to us, we can tell because we're bigger than them. Have you guys ever heard that thing where McDonald's make a lot of their advertising red because it makes people want to eat more? Yeah, I've heard about yeah. that, and, and yellow as well is another colour that they use to sort of promote food. It's completely false. It's scientifically proven to be completely false. In fact, it's the opposite of true. Okay, that's good to know. <laughs> um, they've done some research at the University of Oxford where they serve the same food in different cups and, and plates and stuff. They found that red colour things suppress the urge to eat. They actually make things taste worse. So if you serve the same product to a lot of people and you sort of do a general survey on, on how good they think something tastes, if it's in a red cup, it tastes worse than if it was in a... Food served in orange or cream containers tastes better than food served in red or white containers. Also, they found that if you have the same amount of salt and you eat something with a spoon or a fork, it tastes saltier if you eat it with a fork. What? <laughs> that make, no, that makes sense, because it. I guess it would have to do with the position on your tongue that the food gets to. If it gets to the front of your tongue or the back of your tongue, which is where, t- where taste and um, sweetness and sourness and saltiness comes from. So that makes sense. I can see how if you had a fork, it would go further down. But how does that relate to colour? So you know when you've got like a packet of M&Ms, mm-hmm. right? And some people prefer you know, different colours to others. It's similar to that, I think, that people just associate colour with senses. So this naturally. isn't this isn't like um I mean I heard back when I did psych that the reason why we're going to do really great in our psych exams was because the textbooks had the colour purple on the front cover and that was supposed to be associated with memory or something. Well, we also have to think the whole reason why certain colours appeal to us and stuff, that's because our brains are trying to find things that are good to eat and things that are bad to eat. So sort of smell sight and taste are all linked when we're trying to find food that is good for us. That's really interesting. And I wonder if there is a cultural phenomenon with this as well. So if you then cross-referenced the the same study in, say, Japan or 
Jordan, whether or not you'd get different results to what they got in Cambridge. Because um, in Western cultures, we have positive associations with green and negative associations with red. But in China and Japan, it's the inverse. Absolutely. Yep. So we might find you actually might get the opposite impact. And that's, that would be really cool. So if you're listening, take this study and apply it in a few other countries. And you could have a great PhD topic. Does this mean McDonald's is going to change its colours depending on which country it's in? I think it's a bit late. <laughs> and this isn't only to do with taste and taste sensation. They've actually found that if you eat something with a plastic spoon, it tastes more expensive what? than if you eat it with a fork. <laughs> That's the opposite a of what I would expect. Plastic spoon versus plastic fork. Yeah, or, or a toothpick. Or oh. a fork. I if get you, toothpick. I understand toothpick because yeah. hors d'oeuvres are served with toothpicks. <laughs> toothpicks and they're very fancy otherwise you don't typically use a toothpick but plastic plastic is like i would have thought that you thought it would be cheap yeah and also like plastic and metal and stuff actually do have tastes as well so yeah yeah, yeah. i have like no chicken like we talked about before <laughs> <laughs> but don't you think there could be a lot of problems with a study like this where you're testing something such as taste which is so completely relative to the subject how can we know that the results are actually Legit. And that, I would assume that you have to do a really, really large yeah. sample size and control for certain things. I mean, it's not even getting into what they were serving, because I believe they were serving hot chocolate, is that yep. correct? Yep. yep. So, I mean, hot chocolate is pretty st- typically similar if you're going to go the same process, but the, the way to do it the best would be to use a machine to do it. Mm. And you wouldn't be able to get a barista, because a barista, even if they were serving coffee or hot chocolate, they wouldn't be able to replicate the taste a thousand, two thousand times yeah. that you would need for a study like this. Plus a machine's probably simpler and cheaper. But worse quality, I imagine. So what we learned from this is that cream or orange containers will make your food taste better. So if you're worried about your cooking skills and you want to impress someone, put the food into a cream or orange container. And also if you're worried about it being too salty, serve it with a fork and it will taste better. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, Le Grange Point. This week we talked about turning feathers into plastic, how prairie dogs can communicate and lie and tell stories just like us humans, and how our perception of food's quality can vary depending on the colour of the container and the utensils we eat it with. Our ending theme was composed by Audio Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.